Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. I'm here with my dude Bryn Jonathan Butler, of course, author, filmmaker, my pal, co-host of the show for a long time here. We got some mythical matchup stuff to talk about, man. Got Mike Tyson, George Foreman, two massive names, two massive punchers. Dude. Let's just imagine going back to February 11th, 1990. Eight round. <laughs> There's 10 seconds left. Tyson lands a phenomenal uppercut. Even though he's losing the fight, pretty, pretty overwhelmingly, biggest upset of all time. Tyson lands this colossal uppercut, pulls it out of his ass. There's a cat. Uh, <laughs> and he slams it in to Buster Douglas. Douglas goes down chronologically for 14 seconds. But the referee has him up at nine. Interestingly, a parallel to that is when Tyson gets knocked out, chronologically, he's down for 14 seconds, even though he's counted out at 10. Uh, so I don't dispute the long count. I, I think referees... Yeah, at are, least it was consistent, you know? Yeah, it was It was consistent. Um, but Tyson, as recently as I think a year or two ago, said, I beat him. It was a long count. It was a 14-second count. Well, it wasn't a 14-second count. Referees are not supposed to keep up a chronological count. So that that's why I'm taking issue with it but let's imagine buster douglas is counted out let's leave aside that like he he was listening to the count when he got up and all of the controversial aspects of of the so-called long count he he gets counted out by the referee who is tyson's most lucrative opponent very likely it's george foreman george foreman fighting uh evander holyfield I, th I think was one of the biggest, still one of the biggest fights, heavyweight fights of all time, uh, was a massive bonanza. And George Foreman at that time, coming off of knocking out Jerry Cooney, which which I think Cooney might have been favored to win, um, was sort of the Logan Paul or Jake Paul of his day. Nobody took it seriously. Go back and watch these broadcasts, and he is a complete fucking joke. And he was still a joke going into Evander Holyfield after Cooney. And he gave Holyfield some problems. I think he hurt him a couple times. Uh, you know, I rewatched that fight, but it is it is completely conceivable that Tyson Foreman is the biggest fight in history at that time. Like Tyson probably would have made $50 million, $40 million at that time. I mean, Buster Douglas made $24 million fighting Evander Holyfield at coming off of Tyson. So it's it's a really interesting fight just on that level of what kind of money it could have generated. And on top of that, I think you have um, how would have George at his athletic peak in, in 1974, that version done against Tyson, how would the 1990 version right after Cooney have done or Toward the end of his career, 1994, he wins the heavyweight championship, oldest heavyweight champion ever at 45. Is that right? Yeah. Um, he still fights on until 1997, in my opinion. I, I think yours too. I thought he beat Briggs in 97. I think most people him. felt that way, yeah. I think most people did. I thought he did. Um, so what if he gets him around there where Tyson gets out of jail for rape in 95? and is fighting absolute nobodies in terms of Peter McNeely's, Buster Mathis Jr., uh, kind of washed up Frank Bruno, Bruce Selden, who goes down with more of a phantom punch. Yeah, it was a terrible, 
than yeah. Liston ever did. So that's kind of why I think this is so interesting to get into is these are such epic personalities from the history of boxing, incredibly lucrative personalities. They both put on magnificent shows consistently mo most of their career. And we have three different focal points to kind of drop into that are all interesting propositions on paper because, you know, a lot of people have brought up how did how did uh, Joe Frazier do against Foreman? And they sort of say, well, isn't Tyson just a version of that? I totally disagree with that, but it's brought up a lot. So there's just a lot to play with here with the different eras and just with what both of these guys brought to the table. No question. So, I mean, I think that's pretty much what we're getting into today. A little bit of the history behind the possibility of them actually fighting. Obviously, this is kind of a mythical matchup episode centered just on this fight. Now, Eris and I had done a mythical matchup episode previously where people had kind of sent in their requests of what they wanted to hear about or whatever. But, I mean, just one this one fight because it's massive and also... Uh, so one, the history of kind of when they possibly could have actually gotten in the ring. And also, like you said, that span there, because George Foreman's career so long, going back into the early 70s and then forward into the 19, you know, the late 1990s. So that's a pretty good span of uh, versions of George Foreman, basically. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I think that you bring up a really good point as far as the the lucrative uh, nature of a potential Tyson Foreman matchup and also what the attitude was toward both of these guys, both yeah. Tyson and Foreman. I mean, early on in the 1970s, right? Uh, we've had a lot of hindsight to play with, with uh, George Foreman and who he was as a fighter then and how scary he was. He comes up out of the 1968 Olympics, I believe, in Mexico City of the gold medal at heavyweight. And he's a guy who was kind of a troublemaker as a youth and credits job core and then finding boxing with kind of getting him out of trouble as a youth and a gigantic guy, just a massive human being in general, you know, a guy who's just rock solid at like six, two, six, three, and just big, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, even especially early on in his career, he's using that size advantage over a lot of opponents and just like beating the crap out of them, pummeling them, like mercilessly walking through whatever it is they got and just, you know, beating physically beating the hell out of them. Um, and then, you know, as you talked about spanning all the way forward to the 1990s, it's a totally different version of George Foreman, yet still the same guy. So, you know, that's kind of what we're talking about with uh, matching them against someone like Mike Tyson how much fucking money would this fight have, have generated in like 19, you know, even, even post Buster Douglas with Mike Tyson, you know what I mean? The, the money potentially generated by this fight would just be massive. Well, and, th and that's the thing is, is, as I mentioned at the beginning, if, if Tyson, we have a counterfactual that if Douglas doesn't get up or is counted out and Tyson is fighting him undefeated, I think he would have been 38. No, at that point. I mean, realistically just just george's name uh and the way he could sell these fights i mean i don't think it's out of the question these guys are making 40 million each kind of thing uh with tyson losing that fight and and you know i think after that he's coming back and and i think he had what henry tillman alex stewart and and ruddick a couple times before the desiree washington stuff um 
he he was changing, I think, in the cultural imagination at, at that time. And then he became something totally different after jail. Suddenly after jail, there was this kind of collective amnesia where people seemed to buy into that he could come back even better. He certainly physically looked better getting out of jail. I've never seen his body look better than against McNeely. Like during that weigh-in, it was just like, I, he's just so fucking ripped. Uh, may, maybe he was on the juice then again with Tyson. Uh, Tyson did not have a new body. He just had a better body than he did. Some of these guys, you know, Evander Holyfield, you're going to see the 172 pound version to the 208 pound version and beyond. It's it's kind of a, a totally transformative new body. Tyson, not really. He's just leaner. He just looks in better condition. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing for context here is that Foreman in the 1970s is this just wrecking ball, just annihilating people in a way that we just really never seen. And I mean, kind of Sonny Liston, I guess, is a precedent. But what he was doing to the 1970s opponents going into the Rumble in the Jungle against Norton, against Frazier, it, it, it just looked cartoonish. And he retires in 1977 after a loss. He has a massive religious conversion, sort of finds Jesus um, at the at the brink of death, I think is the way he's described it. He he gives his life to that, goes broke. And at 38 years old in 1987, after a 10-year absence, he returns. Uh, everybody assumes it's a cynical cash grab, but he he says, I'm going for the heavyweight championship. <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. Of course, seven years later, he's going to do it. But he was just such an incredible performer and salesman and um, became one of the most lovable figures in America after being one of the most frightening figures in America in the 1970s. I mean, one of the great transformations in American life, I think. So that against what Tyson represented and the kind of cultural capital he had as you know, I guess him or Michael Jackson are the most famous people on earth in the 1980s. I mean, way bigger, I think, than Michael Jordan globally. So maybe not nationally, but globally, Tyson was in a in a stratosphere that I think only Michael Jackson has occupied. So I, I don't even like again. So if you have the, the once defeated Tyson or with the one defeat against Foreman, either way, I think you're talking about easily the biggest fight economically in the history of the sport. You know, one of the fights I agree too. I think that it's a massive, massive moneymaker. Um, and really one of the things that we'll talk about in a moment, really, I think cemented what you mentioned there in a, a second ago about Foreman actually going for the heavyweight championship where he diverts from this potential fight and goes for the heavyweight championship. But We'll get to that in a second. One of the fights in the 1970s that I think is really demonstrative as far as who George Foreman was at that time, and also probably a big reason as to why Muhammad Ali was able to just kind of step in and go, no, 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 buddy. Jose Roman. Jose Roman uh, was a Puerto Rican heavyweight. Gosh, I don't want to fuck that up. I'm pretty sure he's Puerto Rican. Jose King Roman. I uh, fought him, fought uh, George Foreman in Tokyo in, uh, you know, during in the early 1970s during his first reign and was one of his initial title defenses after defeating Joe Frazier. And I mean, it's a massacre. It's just like, it's awful in almost every way imaginable. 
it's like taking all of the punishment a really mean Roberto Duran used to do to somebody and like condensing it into a very much shorter period of time because George Foreman like is elbowing, forearming, rabbit punching, you know, like holds the back of his head and uppercuts him. And then also on top of that, hits him super hard while he's down. Like, I mean, it's just, it's an absolute bloodbath, dude. But point being that that version of George, uh, George Foreman, I think, really shows who he was at that time. He was angry and he knew that he, his size could take him through most of these fighters. And it's not that Jose Roman was a great fighter. He wasn't, he was a pretty middling heavyweight contender. Um, and he wasn't super tough. Not that you, you know, even the tough kind of went out against Foreman, but that being said, uh, it's just the way that he handled him, the way that Foreman walked right through him and then did it with like malice, did it with some fucking evil was that was George Foreman in the 1970s. And Ken Norton is also a really good example too. That entire debacle is like its own, you know, episode with the Venezuelan government getting involved and trying to stop both fighters at the airport from leaving the country. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But that being said, he also handled the shit out of Ken Norton, who at the time, you know, was like, uh, he had just given Ali, which we did our own episode on, uh, Norton, the Norton Ali fights. He had given Ali all he can handle and was considered a really dangerous heavyweight. And George Foreman just was like, I, this guy's got nothing for me. He destroyed him. This was the version of George Foreman that people were frightened of. Um, you know, similar to you brought up Sonny Liston. George Foreman used to spar with Sonny Liston. And there's newspaper reports of Sonny Liston beating the crap out of him when he's fairly young. But then George Foreman kind of coming into his own and being able to handle himself with Sonny Liston and sparring, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that fucking gym, tell you that much. But nobody had really seen that kind of intensity and intimidation and like public fear factor since Sonny Liston. Yeah, and I think I think also the profile of Frazier after beating Ali in the first fight um, second fight, forget that. But the third one, Thrill in Manila, still, I mean, Ali had all he could handle with Frazier. And for Foreman, just beat him up like a little kid. It was ridiculous and it was humiliating to watch. And I love Joe Frazier. Uh, it was really, really hard to watch. So, I mean, not unlike what Mike Tyson represented in 1988, where you had all kinds of people predicting that Michael Spinks would win. Uh, I know that Tyson was the favorite, but nonetheless, I mean, even Teddy Atlas predicted Spinks was going to beat him. It was it was not a ridiculous proposition to look at Michael Spinks undefeated with what he'd done with Larry Holmes and, and, and Jerry Cooney and a number of other people. He just was able to figure guys out. And I think there was still the perception with Tyson, who has he really fought? And after what happened with Spinks, I think a number of people either pointed out or it was left unsaid. <laughs> this guy Whoa. might be the best person who's ever done it. Look at how young he is and just how extraordinary he looks. And I think even Ali at the time was a little uncomfortable, uh, you know, just by seeing like, I wasn't doing what he, what he's doing here. Like there's something different about Tyson. And then kind of, it was kind of poof that that Tyson didn't come back again. And, and I think we see, we've seen that with Anthony Joshua after Klitschko the guy who walked in there against Klitschko was magnificent. And I thought, oh, we have the generational king in the heavyweight division. And he just then consequently disappeared. And this other guy showed up. 
<laughs> who, who you know has the same body but doesn't fight the same way doesn't have the same confidence so tyson tyson in 98 coming off of spings was occupying very rarefied air uh, in all of sports it was just uh i mean seeing michael jordan in the audience like michael jordan's here it's like he was nothing compared to where tyson was at that time making 21 million dollars for 91 seconds was a punchline that even me as a nine-year-old was hearing like he made a quarter million dollars a second and it was just like well if you're that good it's not unlike michael jackson signing a billion dollar contract to to perform concerts there's never been anything like this or eddie murphy you know we were in a, a really heady time for people and and mike tyson was up there in every domain of arenas of, of ambition um that being said it's an interesting era because we're bringing up where foreman stood in relation to what he was doing to similar opponents with ali um in the 90s it's kind of interesting to delve into that too with with tyson and foreman is Everybody thought it was going to be a gross mis mismatch after Holyfield beat Buster Douglas, annihilated him, and then goes in there against George to make $20 million. And it was, I mean, you listen to the commentary with the HBO guys, it's a joke. It's a sideshow. Um, there's all these jokes about his age. I mean, he's only 42. We have very different perception of age and heavyweights now. Like, nobody was making those jokes about Klitschko at 42. I mean, either Klitschko or, or, or any other real heavyweights now. Um, but at that time, uh, you had Holyfield going against Burt Cooper and almost getting knocked out. Uh, I don't think anybody's confused Burt Cooper with a Hall of Fame fighter, dangerous fighter, big puncher. Um, but it's all, you know, one little thing I, I also wanted to mention is that both Foreman and Tyson have talked about each other in very interesting terms. Uh, Tyson readily admits that Foreman was a bigger puncher than him. He just says, I was faster. But Foreman was definitely the heavy, heavier hitter. Evander Holyfield and Shannon Briggs, two guys I've profiled, uh, both told me that Foreman unequivocally was the hardest puncher they ever faced. So it's not just that he's strong. Uh, it's not just that he's got size. He's also just recognized as one of the strongest people in the history of the sport and the biggest puncher. And so, I mean, even if you watch that Holyfield fight, jabs that hit Holyfield look like the right hands of Bo. The, like what it does to the way Evander is tossed around that ring with jabs is something to to watch. Um, but it, it's just kind of interesting to think with the Burt Cooper Holyfield thing or, you know, another another analog to this is sort of David Tua versus Lennox Lewis, like how easily Lennox Lewis handles that to think about where where Tyson would be as a little guy that's a little bit similar trying to deal with George. Like George seemed to have a pretty easy time with small guys, but you, but you don't know. So yeah, there's lots to play around with here. Yeah. That's, and that's what really makes this matchup intriguing. So there was actually in October, 1990, there was an entire, there was a cover on the ring magazine, the Bible of boxing or, you know, what it used to be or whatever. Uh, they dedicated an entire cover to the possibility or at that time, potential likelihood 
that Mike Tyson and George Foreman were going to lock horns. So again, you know, just going, going back slightly and making sure people kind of understand where we were and why this was the case. I mean, it seems kind of obvious why they would match them. You know, it's two big puncher, puncher against puncher, regardless of whether there's a title on the line or whatever. That's just the kind of fight that, you know, it's natural. People like it. (laughs) Two heavyweights, you could punch, whatever, you know, no problem. Forget about it. But On top of that, Mike Tyson had just lost to uh, Buster Douglas. And so uh, you have widespread kind of skepticism in the late 80s and early 90s of George Foreman and who he is, what he can do. Uh, Is he legitimate? Part of it is his weight. He's obviously uh, not ripped like he was in the 1970s, but he's in his you know late 30s when he starts, early 40s. Uh, in in that portion of his career, he's getting sponsorships with like the fucking Gordon's Fisherman or some shit. You know what I'm saying? He's getting like Big Mac sponsorships and shit. So, I mean, it, it, there is a lot of skepticism and a lot of people saying, oh, this is a joke or it's a ploy. It's a, some sort of money making scheme or whatever. And perhaps it also was, you know, there is a little bit of room for overlap there. But, um, you know, they also a big important piece of this, too, is that Tyson and Foreman headlined a double header card uh in ni- june of 1990 tyson stopped henry tillman which you mentioned and both uh i mean excuse me uh it was his first fight back since losing to buster douglas number one and also defeating henry tillman was avenging two amateur losses yep. and the both of the amateur losses in conjunction kept Mike Tyson out of the 1984 Olympics, which was a big dream, you know, uh, for custom auto and whatnot. That was part of the plan, part of the kind of, you know, several step plan that they had mapped out for Mike Tyson, you know, get him to be a wrecking ball in the amateurs, move him to the Olympics, gold medal in the Olympics, heavyweight championship. You know, that's a fairly good plan <laughs> as it goes for heavyweight champions. But so he annihilates uh, Henry Tillman. This is vengeance for those amateur losses. And then in the other fight, George Foreman just obliterates Adelson Rodriguez, who is a Brazilian heavyweight, who was like not a bad heavyweight, just, you know, in the span of about a year, loses very badly to both Evander Holyfield and George Foreman, just gets like, you know, just totally bowled over, flattened, nasty, terrible. Go look them up on YouTube. Um, and also on top of that, he has seven losses and all seven are by knockout. So you kind of got to take that into account. Nonetheless, it's a big show. They both score knockouts. And the last important piece of that happening is that it's top or, um, yeah, I'm sorry, top rank who's handling George Foreman's comeback and Don King, who's still got a piece of Mike Tyson. So they're getting together and Don King is, is officially promoting this card, but they're, both promoting the card as it were coming together and and that was mentioned in this article in 1990 article in the ring where they talk about you know can king and aram get back together the ideal is to have them co-headline another double header and then match them together so obviously since that didn't happen what happened was part of it was that george foreman was a little bit busier than mike tyson got back in the ring sooner Mike Tyson met up uh, and wound up getting in with Razor Ruddock. And I think the controversy, you know, we talked about that fight and also the difficulty of that fight kind of kept him there. Whereas George Foreman realized he could get a shot at Evander Holyfield a lot sooner based on name value and based on the performances he had just kind of lucked out on at the time. And on top of that, 
Evander Holyfield was with main events. Uh, you know, Bob Aaron was probably a, a little bit more, you know, uh, happy to work with main events versus Don King again, I would imagine. So, you know, all of these things in conjunction meant that George Foreman was obviously going to take that opportunity for the heavyweight championship against Evander Holyfield, which you mentioned was a much better fight than a lot of people thought it was going to be. Yeah, I think I don't think anybody expected Holyfield to have anywhere near as much trouble with George. I mean, there's there's a few punches in that fight where George missed by that much that I think would have dropped and and put away Holyfield. It's nothing nothing against Holyfield. I just think Holyfield's courage against George just got him into trouble. There are interviews on YouTube where he talks about getting hurt. He said, anytime he hit me cleanly, I was hurt. And I've never been hurt by a puncher like George. Um, and it's interesting too with Tyson, Tyson and George is they've like, George has said that Tyson was afraid to fight him and also admitted that he was afraid to fight Tyson. He said like several different, several you know, it's kind of almost seems like it depends on the interview, like it depends on what the best thing to say for the interview is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's true. And I mean, let's, let's remember too, the Cooney fight is January 15th, 1990. God, that and was ugly. It, it's a phenomenal knockout. I mean, it, it's it's one of those now a good fight before then too, actually. Yeah, really, really interesting. But he just has this way, especially to to finish off the fight where he just walks over and it's just an uppercut Effortless. and a step and a right hand, and his demeanor after doing it, it's so interesting. These guys who are matter of fact about offering their iconic knockouts. I mean, Joshua did the same thing against Klitschko when he knocked him out, where he just this strut that he has, where you're like, that's what I want from from like the the iconic heavyweight uh working working in the day and you know these guys who jump up celebrating you can see that they're surprised by what they've done one of the wonderful things about george is he doesn't sit in his stool like like the second generation george is just sitting there and there's iconic poses that he has where he's just crossing his legs his arms are on the side of the ropes just waiting for stuff to happen and it's intimidating everybody Every opponent who's watching is just like, how, how can he be 40 years old and he has no issue fighting an undefeated Evander Holyfield? Who is this guy? And he, you can see the way he mentally breaks people down, even though he's not quick. Um, and he, there are some issues with stamina periodically that he faces. His determination to win, not just to survive. He's never trying to survive. He's always trying to win. It's amazing the number it does on so many opponents. And why not? Because right after the Cooney fight, he's 65 and two and, and with the best knockout percentage in the history of heavyweight boxing. And, uh, you know, Tyson, I think always had real issues of, of like elements of his character was he was a sensitive bullied kid who created this artifice to become the ultimate intimidator and tough guy. But I don't think he ever really compartmentalized that sensitive picked on kid either so i think he if he wasn't able to intimidate opponents if they weren't backing up he had problems and almost always yeah. lost and, I agree. and and george that's not really the case i think george was mentally defeated by ali but other than that i mean he's he's competitive just because i think he he knows the kind of power that he has at any at any moment and he doesn't need to do anything dramatic to inflict damage on opponents something something casual something cursory just a grazing blow is knocking people out so after the cooney fight january 15th 1990 
it's less than a month until February 11th when Tyson loses. So I think it it was so possible that George could have been next right at that point. Um, but then it just goes in this other direction, which is interesting. Like, why why do you think that, like, do you think it was just the politics with Aram and King that kept this from happening, just their egos, but, or just bad luck? I mean, I mean, this was one of the great eras in the history of the heavyweight division, and we got a ton of fights. We never got Bo Lewis. Like, there, there are a handful that stick out of, oh, I wish we would have had more of those. And I mean, we're reliving that now in today's era with a Wilder, Usyk, Joshua, Fury. And how many fights have we gotten out of these four in the last seven years when we've been clamoring for it? A lot less than I think we hoped. Yeah, um, I think that the egos between Aram and King was part of it. Um, I mean, not to get too far back, but in the late 70s and early 80s, um, Don King and Bob Aram had had it through the press quite a bit. And one of the major contentions was their involvement of heavyweight boxing in South Africa, specifically Sun City. Yes. And I, yeah. I, Eris and I have done a show specifically about that. And I talked about like the history of like, you know, Saul Kirshner and uh, Bob Aram being good friends with Saul Kirshner, who helped develop Sun City and a couple of other South African uh, coastal places, blah, blah, blah. But it was an extremely hypocritical argument between two of them because they were both involving heavyweights in and non-heavyweights too, their fighters in and and trying to get black fighters too in order to kind of sports wash it and legitimize what was going on in South Africa. Uh, they were both doing it. And so it was not, neither of them had clean hands, but it was a contentious issue and they went at it quite a bit in the 1980s over that issue. And so uh, that plus they were rivals. They're both dirt bags and willing to do a lot to fuck fighters over, you know. So I think that there is uh, something to them kind of butting heads, egos, et cetera, and neither willing to really be uh, take a backward step. Obviously, Aram has been the one that's outlasted Don King in the in the great war here. Don King sided with the the wrong chess pieces, uh, went in with the wrong equipment unfortunately, but regardless, um, yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think that the other part of it is what you said too, bad luck, bad timing. Um, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And you also mentioned some of the issues that Tyson had too, that I just kind of wanted to touch on too. fighters. They had issues with the bone crusher, Smith, uh, quick Tillis, Tony Tucker, fighters who are basically standing up to him or at least in some way, not cooperating, not being afraid and kind of like fighting him, like fearful, uh, fighting him tall, et cetera, making, making him work for what he was doing rather than kind of walking headlong and, uh, his combinations. And those kind of fighters were always difficult for, for, uh, Mike Tyson. And so I think it's kind of funny, you know, you bring up Foreman saying different things at different times, 100%. 
you know, at the time, at the time when they talked about the fight, he was like, basically bring it on, you know, let's go, like make that fight happen. Didn't sound like he was afraid. So now I think later on, he's like, whoa, Mike Tyson, he's a machine. He was an animal. He's a monster. I think that it's kind of like overly complimentary. He might've actually felt that way too at the time. That's possible. But he says a lot of that kind of stuff in interviews now, calls every fighter he's ever gotten in the ring with the most difficult fighter he's ever faced. You know what I mean? So, but um, I think Mike Tyson is also kind of at a place in his life where he's a little bit more likely to speak honestly, a little bit more likely to speak openly, uh, even if the things that he's saying are are incorrect. You know, he's probably a little bit more likely to voice his opinion or whatever at this stage in his life. And he has said, yeah, that he that he sees a difficult fight between he and Foreman. And it's tough to argue, dude. It's just that you have to split the difference, like you were just saying, between are we going with that younger version of Foreman that was a physical monster and who still seemed to have easier time with kind of smaller or shorter fighters or are we going with the older version of foreman who was obviously smarter uh better at conserving his energy than the younger version and also better at waiting shit out but then you kind of go to that holyfield fight and other fights foreman takes a lot of shots in his second career he takes a lot of punches yeah he does it it, it is tricky because i think most of the top level trainers made the point to say that old George beats young George old George was smarter it's a good point and it is a thinking thinking man's game a lot more than I think people appreciate and he's um, got Archie Moore and Sandy sat Sandy <laughs> fucking set yeah like, and some it, of the most knockouts ever in one fucking corner Jesus Christ yeah, and and Dundee's in there too, and I mean he loves Dundee. You know, I I like the idea that what Ali inflicted on him, um, in terms of being confronted with who you are as a loser, um, that you're like, well, I need I need his the guy in his corner. I need in my corner. He has he has the self awareness and humility to allow that in. Is an interesting thing about George. And and you're quite right that I think what George's big regret is, it's the only thing I've really heard him regret as he looks back at his life, is anything uncomplimentary he said about opponents or other people where he was uncharitable to people really bothers him. So I think he's overcompensated where you're quite right to say um, he really wants to be generous in lauding other people through, throughout his career. And, and, and you know, he's, he's a pretty generous spirit. Um, he's a very odd person. I mean, I've only interviewed him once. He let me into his mansion to talk about Teofilo Stevenson because while he was calling some of Stevenson's fights in the Olympics, he said Stevenson was the greatest heavyweight he'd ever seen, pro or amateur. And I, you know, doing a documentary about Cuban boxers, I want that on the tape as an authority legitimizing the Cuban heavyweights because they were so singularly um, discredited especially by the American media. They never fought anybody. They're men fighting. They're commies. You know what I'm saying? So all all of that immediate dismissal. Yeah. And so it was, it, you know, it was interesting to talk to Felix Sabone about fighting Mike Tyson, where you have, again, a, a bit of an adjacent analog to Foreman where, where Sabone was like, did you see what I did to David Tua? You saw what Lewis did was terrified of David Tua getting anywhere near him. I knocked him out in half a round. 
like a, a younger, more athletic, more agile version. It took me half a round and like he was concussed. A guy who was never knocked out, I think, in his entire professional career. And I think only knocked down once when he was way overweight and, you know, looked like a warthog at the end of his career. Um, it's it's interesting because you're you're totally right to say Tyson struggled with tall guys that were not intimidated, that had a lot of reach. Tyson's reach is 71 inches. George, I think, is 79 inches. Um, so this is, these are important things. You know, like I, I was looking at the other day watching a Roger Mayweather fight. The man was five foot seven with a 75 inch reach. He's five seven with a six foot three reach. Like when we talk about Terrence Crawford, who has like, I think a 70, I think he has a 74 inch reach. Like there's a lot of all-time great boxers where this is a huge asset that they that they bring into the ring is just a colossal reach in, in comparison to their height. Floyd Mayweather had it as well, as did his dad. But Roger, I think, is the, the biggest discrepancy I've ever heard between height and reach. But Tyson was dealing with an eight reach, eight inch reach deficit. Young, young George was 220, same weight as Tyson. Um, wasn't super ripped in those days, just one of those natural big physiques, looked like a construction worker, but not the chiseled six-pack, not the steroid physique where everybody looks like Norton um, past a certain point. Um, George coming back, I think when he fought Holyfield, he was 257 for that fight, which he considered a little heavy. He sort of, as we saw with Tyson Fury recently, came down from over 300 pounds, but he seemed even stronger, old George, than than younger George. In many respects, his biceps look just freakish. And, you know, like when you watch some of the HBO promo stuff, it's like they're showing what he's doing, <laughs> lifting things and carrying things all the time. I mean, he was fanatical and obsessive with his training regimen, even though it might have not been reflected in his weight. But we 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 have, as Tyson Fury has shown us, a real misapprehension about what um, is necessary for dominating boxing with your body compared to what looks the best. We we seem to conflate the two, and and they they aren't necessarily so. Tyson Fury, in my opinion, would not have would have been difficult for any heavyweight in all of history with his ability, um, and he looks like a guy you would never assume was a professional athlete. I don't think anybody would look at those love handles and confuse that and say, clearly you're the heavyweight champion of the world and an all-time great heavyweight. They'd say, like, you, you know, you you live in a bar. So I think... With I him, do... actually, both are true. Yeah, He also true. lives that's in a fucking bar. That, that, that's true. So I do think because Tyson always struggled with tall guys who were unintimidated, who had a good jab, and certainly if they had a good right hand behind it, um, even at his absolute peak, he struggled struggled against it. I, I don't see him beating Lennox Lewis, even in his prime. If you're talking a prime Lennox Lewis, I just don't think he overcomes those physical deficits. Um, but Foreman is going to give him, I think, give him trouble. I just think, I think in terms of the battle of wills, the battle of character in the ring, I'm speaking, uh, I think mentally Foreman could get into the heads of opponents, especially somebody pretending to be an intimidator. I know he was successful at it, but I don't think, I think Foreman was a natural intimidator. Like, like even interviewing him, 
was unlike anybody I've ever interviewed in the sport. He's not trying to be a tough guy at all. He just is incredibly intimidating with his with his energy. And I say that despite the fact he was completely polite, um, was a wonderful person to talk to. But there's just a presence that if you cross a line with this guy, you're in real trouble. And with Tyson, he seems more likely to break down crying than than he's going to lash out and attack you kind of thing. Like he he seems much more unstable. Foreman seems much more like a military guy. Like his, his his children called him sir. There's a big difference. And I'm not trying to say like I'm, you know, Mr. From the Streets or anything like that, or like Mr. Streetwise or nothing, but I feel pretty confident in saying that there's a big difference between somebody who's got to go around telling everybody they're the baddest and they're the toughest and they're going to do this and they can do that. You know, like, yeah, that's what bullies do. And there's a big difference between that and somebody who goes around and people just know he doesn't have to talk. They, or he or her, whatever, they don't have to talk about it. They don't have to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I can do. I'm bad. I'm tough. I'm, People just know from the way that they act, the way that they carry themselves. It's not, you know, false confidence. It's not braggadocio, bravado, whatever you want to call it, hubris. And there's a big difference. I would say, look at Duran and Leonard. Who the hell hell intimidated Leonard? Sugar Ray Leonard was a killer. And he was totally intimidated by Duran in that first fight. And then took advantage of the eating and stuff like that in the second. But you watch the first fight, he's scared. You can see he's just really, really scared going into the ring, and he's scared fighting him. It doesn't go away. Maidana Mayweather is another interesting example. Mayweather has such character in the ring. He's able to deal with anything, but you can see with Maidana, it's like, I don't like how fucking crazy this guy is. I feel like he's killed people, and I'm doing an act about this, but this is this is a different kind of guy than I'm facing. Broner faced the, the same problem. You could see Broner never got over just being really intimidated by Maidana. There's something frightening about him. Some of these guys have that. I mean, I remember, I remember at my boxing gym as a teenager, Oleg Tektarov came in, and I I didn't know who he was at the time, but he's this Russian with, I mean, he's not much bigger than me. He was like 5'10, 200 pounds with this huge head, like Tyson. Um, Tyson physically is not dramatically different than my size, but his head is so big. But Tektarov looking at you was like somebody pointing a gun at your face. And again, he perfectly polite. He didn't do any. He, he wasn't. Sometimes people just got that look like they've seen some shit. Yeah. And you and, know that it's some shit you ain't seen. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I've never had anybody point a gun at me. But but that's the closest I've come to that feeling. When you see it in movies and you try to imagine what it's like. Oleg Tektarov just looking at me and saying, how are you, how are you doing? Was enough for me to go. Please don't do that again. Like, 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 just do your training over there. I'm 16. Good, 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 just, good, good, good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So I just feel like Foreman, probably at any of the three fights we're talking about, in terms of 88 to 90, um, post post Tyson losing, you know, 91, 90, you know, before before the the Desiree Washington thing or in 95 I feel like he gets into Tyson's head at some point I feel like he's going to do something in the lead up and on top of that is I think when he gets into the ring I mean let's keep this in mind the only time that George has really admitted to being frightened um, going into the ring terrified of an opponent 
is Joe Frazier. Well, watch God. those two fights. If that's Foreman Brighton, then Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I, I think while he can appreciate that Tyson is so elusive, if we're talking about the prime Spinks version of Tyson, well, that's going to be tricky for me when clearly I'm not noted for my speed. But if if Foreman catches up to you, and I think Corm, Foreman was a lot more adept at setting traps than he's given credit for. You can see that in the Holyfield fight. You can see what he did to Cooney or a number of other opponents. He's As brutal as he is, where it just seems like he's just clubbing people um, there are traps to the older foreman. Like he's a lot more shrewd when you go back and watch those fights. I mean, what he's doing against Tommy Morrison is an interesting fight. Um, there, there are a lot of interesting fights he has, like old George. I mean, he had a bum of, bum of the month club um, straight after he came out of retirement. But as the competition came up, I mean, I think he's full of shit in terms of the Michael Moore thing. Like I was trying to set him up for that the whole time. I mean, he lost almost that entire fight, but at the same time, his willpower and determination to force that to happen. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think he gets as much credit from people that are detractors that it's not easy to do that to an undefeated Michael Moore, um, where Moore is one of the, I mean, as a light heavyweight is probably the, in my opinion, the best light heavyweight I've ever seen or, or the last light heavyweight I would ever want to fight. Um, with just how fucking dangerous he was at that weight class. And he was still a, a very, very dangerous heavyweight when he was motivated. I mean, I know he was a fucked up guy in a lot of respects, but. Um, I remember him bombing out Vasily Yurov, dude. I remember oh, that. That was like, that was like 2006 or something like that. Yeah, he, he's a, those uppercuts. I mean, he, to me, I've, I've never seen anybody throw uppercuts the way he did. I mean, that's the punch that I always, that was the one I was the most afraid to get hit with. Because if you don't see it, you feel this horrible sound in the back of your neck, like in your spine. It, it's just, ooh. Um, and nobody nobody threw it just as smoothly as him. Like he sort of, like Daryl Strawberry had this beautiful swing. Some boxers have that with a punch. Just like, it's just so smooth the way they throw it. And not a lot of guys have that with the uppercut. And and Moore had it with both hands. They were both take your head off. And he'd throw them sometimes in three or four punch combinations. It was really beautiful, especially as a heavyweight, really unusual to watch. Um, obviously, Joshua has a great uppercut, too. I wish he threw it more. Um, but I, I mean, why don't we get into these two or three versions of this fight and how you see them unfolding? How do you think George does against Tyson? I mean, maybe we start with the first one, like like the, let's say Tyson beats Douglas, um, and we get him where he's still elusive, he's still training, he's still got Kevin Rooney. Man, I mean, yeah. Uh, without applying too many of the ifs, I would say that that version of Tyson probably has the best shot at beating Foreman. I mean. Again, we're kind of applying a bunch of asterisks and ifs there because yes, really around are. this time, Tyson was also starting to kind of lose focus. And, you know, they had him over in Japan and he was kind of seemed like he was falling in love with his own celebrity in Japan as well. It didn't seem to help. But regardless, that version of Tyson in the ring physically was still pretty sharp, uh, was still using his head movement, generally speaking, um, and still finding ways to counter that was that was the whole thing you know a lot of we've said several times on this episode here 
talked about Tyson not standing up well to bullies. And there are going to be people who support Tyson even now who say that's bullshit. That's not true. That's that's right. just a myth. That's not how it was. I argue that it really was the case. Uh, Evander Holyfield was obviously kind of the outlier and the extreme example as far as, um, you know, the bully standing up to Tyson, obviously, because he defeated him twice. But at the same time, there were, again, other fighters who kind of stood up to him and did fairly well, or at least didn't get run over. Um, and so that part of it, I think, is fairly accurate. Uh, that being said, that version of Tyson still, I think, had a little bit more belief in himself and still had not really kind of been knocked down a peg yet and mm -hmm. would still potentially find a way to, I don't think he's really going to stop George Foreman, but he might find a way to kind of beat him up over the long haul, similar to how Evander Holyfield did. Um, but that said, I'd probably still go with Foreman because Tyson's going to have to be mostly inside to make that win happen. Holyfield had better movement, better kind of in and out type of movement to make that win happen. Mike Tyson wasn't really that kind of fighter. And I think he'd probably stand in there maybe a little bit too long and catch something nasty. Yeah. I mean, I even wonder if the Tyson that fought like Marvis Frazier, where just... That guy, I mean, as we see with Terrence Crawford, like where and Crawford yeah, he just jumped on him and blitzed him and did, you know, that might be a different story. And can blitz you from either hand, whatever direction you go, he's equally comfortable pursuing you southpaw or straight. I mean, Crawford does this at his weight class. Tyson did it maybe quicker than Crawford with a hell of a lot more power behind it, like 218 pounds behind it. Um and pressure counterpunching, you know, post post Rooney in his corner, he's a puncher with extremely fast hands, but he's no longer a counterpuncher. It's it it seems to be a subtle difference that a lot of people miss in his style, but the tape is really clear. If you watch up to that point, and you watch after it. It's the it's the big difference. Is he's just trying to land something big rather than getting into your space making you open up and countering off of you with these phenomenal knockout shots. I mean, that's how he's dropping guys is he's getting them to throw and exposing themselves to, to th these angles that they never anticipated anybody could, could land anything because nobody had ever done that to them. I mean, Tyson was incredible at the angles he was finding in converting defense into offense. I, I think better than anybody in, in the history of the heavyweight division at his peak. Now, after that, he becomes, I think, a more advanced version of Joe Frazier without the stamina, because I think Tyson, for Tyson, stamina was probably a bigger issue than it was for Foreman. He's admitted that he was asthmatic from, from the beginning of childhood. Um, there was a bit of a struggle to breathe for him throughout his life, which is kind of interesting. I think that's in the James Toback documentary where he talks about his issues with breathing. Uh, so Foreman... Foreman, I think if if he can get him out of the first three rounds, maybe Tyson's in trouble. It feels weird to say it just because of the age difference. But at the same time, I just think George is such a boss. And I don't know, like, who would be the next closest thing of a boss that Tyson has fought? Because I don't think Lewis fought him like a boss. 
You, I mean, that's why you have the great commentary from Emmanuel Stewart saying you're like a fucking dead man's in your in front of you. Lewis was cautious. You're gonna fuck around and get caught with something motherfucking right. dangerous. Right. And and he was cautious, you know, as he was against David Tua. He's not like, why, why would I give you all of the chances of, of fighting your style when I don't have to? I've got, you know, 81 inches, 82 inches to keep you at bay, and you can just eat my jab all day. I, I, you know, like a, like a bull gets worn down into, toward the coup de gras. Um, why not just incrementally dismantle you and then put you away? This is what the Klitschko's did to, to such supreme effect. So George, I think the big difference is, is he might set up some traps, but I mean, he did it with Holyfield. Like Holyfield said, I landed the best 20 punches I've ever landed in my life. And he didn't really go anywhere. So I just kind of recognize, well, I can't do better than that. When's the last time I've landed 20 clean punches against an opponent and he was still dangerous with what he could fire back with? And when's the last time Mike Tyson threw 20 punches? You know what I mean? Like, when's the last time he threw like that? Like, holy, there were a couple of rounds in that Foreman or the Holyfield Foreman fight where it was like, if Holyfield was just like, ding, 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 like over and over and over. And you could see Foreman even like catching them like real clean and kind of getting knocked sideways. Like, they were affecting him but it was like nothing was happening. Like he wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't going down. And then on top of that, Holyfield like wore himself out fairly quickly and was like, Oh shit. As soon as Foreman started throwing back, he was like, Oh no, not this guy. I mean, and so I just, I can't really envision too many scenarios where Mike Tyson has that kind of intelligent tenacity um, at that stage. I, a lot of it is the speed. Like you've said, the, surprise the element of getting caught with shots you just didn't see coming when that's just not really what happens at heavyweight like you see these guys loading up swinging not with him but how long does that last and that's really the question and stuff's going to be coming back in them so i mean i guess a, a better question is is there a version of george foreman that you believe mike mike tyson would defeat well, and the other thing is that George is extremely good at fighting opponents, especially small guys, at the end of his punches. Mm-hmm. George George is not somebody where he's really letting people inside. When they get inside, he shoves them off him. You see that with Holyfield, like the whole fight. Holyfield's just being tossed around the ring by George, and it doesn't really seem to tire George out to throw a 220 pound guy around the ring. He just get out here. And then I'm in a nice comfortable position to come forward and land stuff. And, and George can find a few angles too. George has a few little tricky steps that he does, whereas he sort of storms in and then he pivots off with the shot. And he's got some really nasty uppercuts too of his own on the inside. So the question is, is do I think George could take Tyson's power? I mean, I think Tyson would really have to be leaping at him. George 6'3, that 81-inch reach. You know, if Tyson is getting inside opening up, I mean, tell me if George has ever been dropped by a body shot. I can't think of it. Can you? No, no I mean the the biggest issue he had. So he got dropped late by Jimmy Young, like kind of yeah. in a surprise shot. But then against Ron Lyle, you know, he gets 
dinged around and dropped against Ron Lyle. And Ron Lyle's a totally different kind of fighter than Mike Tyson, for one. He's kind of yeah. almost far more similar to a George Foreman than a Mike Tyson. Yeah, he's a truck. And and that was kind of like a, you know, right guy at the right time kind of situation for Foreman and Lyle, where Foreman's unsure of himself, been defeated by Ali, trying to kind of work his way back into contention. And Lyle gets up for a performance of his lifetime, basically, and still comes short, but delivers an incredible performance. But again, that's not Mike, Mike Tyson's style. And so it takes like a, a fairly incredible will and uh, punching power and toughness and durability to even get into that kind of fight with George Foreman. And I'm not entirely sure that's Mike Tyson's steez, you know? Yeah. And I mean, just the way that George, I mean, when you watch those fights against Burt Cooper, where it's old George or Frazier, just how comfortable he is with the little guy. I mean, I don't know how much sparring he did or with whom, but it does not bother him to be with the small guy who's powerful or, or quicker than him. I mean, Burt Cooper could, could fucking hit. Hol Holyfield was not particularly thrilled by that. And, and I think Holyfield also did a lot of sparring with David Tua. Like that was in his stable. And I think there's some YouTube footage of that too. And, and, I, mean, and I mean, sorry to cut you off, but Dwight Muhammad Kawi fairly early in his comeback too, even though Kawi was even shorter than fucking Tyson. Five seven. But I mean, you know, the and just talking about the comfort of punching down at an opponent yeah, yeah. and getting gravity working with you, it's bad news. But for Foreman, it just wasn't. And as as we're saying, go back and even the absolute prime Tyson dealing with tall guys. I mean, as he was consolidating all the heavyweight titles, he didn't look great. Like it was a lot of red meat for critics to say, this guy's overhyped. He's in a barren division. These are paper it was really champions. that Sphinx knockout, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, it was the Sphinx knockout. I mean, because he was fighting so regularly also, which is interesting because then you have the parallel with George coming out of retirement, fighting so regularly every month and just blowing through guys that nobody took it seriously. Oh, yeah, okay, they're nice knockouts, but who who are these people? And then Cooney happens, and it's like, whoa. Well, we saw what Cooney did to Norton, and we've seen Cooney be competitive at the top level. I mean, biggest money fight in its day against Larry Holmes. So suddenly it was like, oh, and then the Holyfield thing still largely was a joke. But it was like, oh, it's not really a joke. Yeah. And there was, there was still, I mean, even dismissive comments about him going into 94 with Michael Moore. Uh, so George probably used all of that to his advantage. I think in, in hindsight, we have to give that version a lot more credit than we did in real time because it was hard to just get over that his body looks so different from, from the younger version. But in terms of, you know, any of the opponents he was dealing with, <laughs> the power was no joke. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a money grab as far as the opponents were concerned. And I think his record reflects that. I mean, Morrison was an extreme, especially a juiced out of his head. Morrison was a very dangerous opponent at, in that in that time. And, you know, even he had endless respect for George at that time about like how hurt he could get from getting hit by George. So it feels kind of bizarre to give George the edge that we're giving him against Tyson, just given 
um, optically how much faster Tyson is and the head movement. Like George's defense doesn't look great, but I think it was largely pretty effective. You know, the sort of the covering over thing. Yep. So I just, I just sort of feel like the mental toughness, the power, what he could have done in the lead into the fights to psych Tyson out, how he would psych Tyson out while they're fighting, because I think George would have led the dance, which is crazy. Like that version of Tyson, like nobody, nobody led the dance against Tyson until Buster did. Right. Like, I mean, even though we're saying he's having trouble with the taller guys, you know, Pink, Pinklin Thomas or most or of them Tucker. were trying to last most of them. Yeah. You know. Keep him off. Like, keep this fucking guy away from me. He's so fast. He's so elusive. I can't hit him. He's countering in a way I've never been countered. But George just never seems to get flustered. I can't. I mean, he got flustered against Ali, obviously. But Tyson is not that way of psyching you out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a weird thing to think that I think I would give George the edge. And George just has, I mean, both of them have a great chin. That's the other thing. I mean, Tyson Tyson took a monumental beating against Buster. And Holyfield, too, hit him with so many clean shots. Same with Lewis. So you, you have to give them both, I mean, probably an equal chin. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but I just think, I don't know who I'd give the edge to because I've just seen both guys take some phenomenal shots without going down. I think that they both have very, very good chins. There's no question about it. And Tyson's chin is probably a little bit underrated in that regard um, because here's the thing, and I'm I'm agreeing with you. I think that you have to give George Foreman, or at least I have to give George Foreman the edge at pretty much any point in their careers if they face each other, any version of George Foreman against pretty much any version of Mike Tyson. And a big part of that, I mean, we've already talked a number of stylistic issues and kind of uh, more nuanced type of things, but also a big part of that, going back to the whole bully thing and going back to the examples you have to get into where you're going, you're imagining somebody who's like a Mike Tyson fan, their, what their argument might be, right? No, no way in hell. Are you kidding me? Mike Tyson would beat the hell out of him because look at these examples. All right, we'll look at these examples and say things like, you know, Muhammad Ali. That's an obvious example, right? Mike Tyson super fast hands, Muhammad Ali, fast hands, you know, there's some sort of, you know, equating there or look at what happened with George Foreman against somebody like Alex Stewart, where he got his face just, you know, freaking puffed to hell. And that's Alex Stewart with all due respect, nothing against Alex Stewart, but you know, it doesn't hold a candle to Mike Tyson and what Mike Tyson can do in there in his prime or at his best. And so if Alex Stewart can do that to George Foreman, why couldn't Mike Tyson you know, I don't really have super great arguments for all of these things or, or, uh, uh, who's the dude that, um, got, uh, screwed Axel Schultz, you know, that Axel Schultz, not a very good fighter either, but, you know, deserved to defeat that version of George Foreman. However, you start kind of getting into like, these are somewhat outliers in George Foreman's career. And he has a much longer career and much wider, more, you know, more breadth to his career than Mike Tyson. Whereas you start getting into the arguments against Mike Tyson, in my opinion, they're a little bit more regular. They're a little bit less outlierish. They're a little bit more like that is the norm. That's what happens when you put him in that position. And so I think that's, that's also what I have to go with. Not just the stylistic stuff, not just the height or whatever, the strength, but 
Mike Tyson just does not react well in a lot of these position, positions where we've already seen George Foreman persevere. Yeah, and I mean, we also we also have to remember that Foreman Holyfield was viewed largely by the boxing public as that George was in the same position that Ali was against Larry Holmes. That's what people were readying for was... Uh, and Time I, to take the old dog out back. Yeah, that's exactly right. That it was going to be one of the saddest things to watch that this guy who's become this lovable teddy bear is going to have his head beaten in by a ferocious Evander Holyfield. And that's not what they saw. You know, they, they, I think everybody came away from that just going, wow, the only person who's really taking this seriously is George. And that's a scary thing, even at 42 years old. And I mean, it's kind of weird now. Like, why were people so dismissive about a heavyweight being 42? where the division is so much less reliant on reflexes and speed and just the, the retention of power being the last thing you lose, as we hear endlessly, um, then why didn't people take George more seriously as a threat, given guys, this incredible record annihilated these, these phenoms in the heavyweight division, and yet he was just so summarily dismissed by the establishment. It's, it's interesting. It is. And there might be one last element, too, that kind of uh, worked with that, and that's that George was working with HBO and commentating on HBO True. and was a lot of times a fairly goofy commentator. So, I mean, that might have worked wow. against him a little bit in terms of people taking him seriously, to be honest, too, because he's just, you know, I think he's overall pretty lovable. But there are some broadcasts where I'll rewatch and I'll be like, what fight were you watching, big guy? <laughs> that's not the fight I saw. But, you know, uh, that might have probably that might have helped a little bit, too, as far as people not taking him seriously. But regardless, just the way that he punched, it's t I, I that's really difficult to dismiss. You know what I mean? Just even a slow old dude, that's tough to dismiss. Well, it's it, it is that and it's also just his mental toughness. I think I think he's one of the the most mentally tough heavyweights. In, that's in tough to measure, you know. It is, it is tough to measure. It's tough to appreciate because it's so easy to get distracted by all the other things that great heavyweights bring to bear. But and, and this is also somebody who's largely defined by their lack of mental toughness when he confronted Ali in the Rumble, of the, Rumble in the Jungle, right? Is Ali saying, okay, George can do this to Frazier and do this to Norton, but every day of the week, I'm going to do this to, to George. And you saw me do it. I told you I was going to do it and look what I did. And then, yet we think... Well, we saw, I mean, you kind of almost lost all three fights to Norton. You looked terrible mo most of the time. I mean, I, that that was a struggle. Frazier has always been a struggle for you. And and yet George is just a walk in the park. It, it's just a, you know, it's, it's hard to reconcile these things in sort of evaluating, well, then how does that relate to this over here? It's one and, of the best examples of that linear A over B over C, therefore yeah. A over, you know, how that just doesn't work in boxing. One of the best examples. Yeah, it really, it really doesn't. Because I mean, if you're thinking in other, in other sports, you know, like you can have two people in the hundred meter dash where somebody fucks up getting out of the gates and they lose, but it doesn't mean they're a worse runner than the person who beats them on that given night. Boxing has that too, is 
Buster Douglas on that night was the better fighter than Mike Tyson. Overall, Douglas has been exactly the opposite in every major fight he ever fought. He, he, he never fought to his potential and choked a lot of the time in his career. And now because of that one fight, he can kind of say, that was the real me against Tyson. It's like, well, that was never the real you. You know, that was sort of like the deathbed confession that I love you, even though I treated you like shit our entire life. Oh, I know that that was the real him. No, it wasn't. The real him was the one you lived with your entire life. So there's something about Tyson, too, where we kind of wonder who is the real him? Is he the potential that he demonstrated or is he the record that we now have? And now Tyson has sort of adopted that way of measuring and assessing his own career. In my prime, I could have beaten anybody, as opposed to, well, you were talking about that a great heavyweight is measured by duration, and you simultaneously are the youngest heavyweight champion who also lost in the biggest upset in history. It's hard for us to reconcile those two poles in assessing your overall worth. Uh, you know, it doesn't take away from how good you were, and it doesn't take away from how fucking shitty you were against a journeyman. You know, somebody who didn't, not a journeyman, that's unfair to Buster, but a contender who never, never really rose above that. Like, I think that Douglas, that's much more indicative of his overall career is what he looked like against Holyfield. Out of shape, <laughs> mentally dominated, and just blown out of the floor, blown out of the water with the the stupidest middle ring uppercut that's ever been offered on a platter to a counterpuncher. It literally, I, we 100%, going back even into the amateurs and his early pro days, his father, uh, you know, Bill Douglas, who was himself the former fighter, was talking about how he didn't think his son was mentally very yeah. tough, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you know, which I'm sure caused Buster all sorts of fucking issues. But regardless, uh, no, no question, people were questioning that type of stuff the entire time. And so that's a little bit more indicative of the fighter that he probably was most of his career. Similarly, Mike Tyson, you know, um, there's a lot of revisionism. There's a lot of yeah. looking back fondly. There's a lot of kind of seeing the reruns of ESPN classic, the dudes where he's just knocking their Afro sideways or sending this dude across the ring with a left hook and then landing that right to the body, right uppercut combination on some dude whose records fucking 22 and 19. And then people go, that is the real Mike Tyson. Maybe, maybe that was the real Mike Tyson against those kinds of fighters. Yeah. But, you know, we also saw, uh, you know, a version of George Foreman, I too, too, that was a little bit more steady, I think, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about it before, but I mean, one measure of greatness is when we put you into your biggest challenges, what do we find? What kind of greatness do we discover? And I mean, look at that with Ali. That's that's why Ali generated the kind of love that he did, is is consistently when he was put put forward into his greatest challenges where we dismissed any chance of him, him winning, not only did he win, i.e. Floyd Mayweather in, in his big challenges, but he won in ways that we could never forget. We fell totally in love with him for surpassing any expectation we could have dreamed of about what would happen in so many fights. And it makes us forget about how shitty he looked against Norton, how much trouble he had against Frazier and a number of other opponents that he was knocked down early in his career and, and, and all that kind of stuff, because when it mattered, 
was when he was at his absolute best. And often it was behind the eight ball in situations. Tyson, when did we see greatness when we were looking for it? Like, like ultimately in the 20 year career, when did he really shine against great opponents? Sphinx. Sphinx. And it, I mean, and then you look at Sphinx physically and you kind of go, okay, like, so Sphinx is your big, your big victory. Who's the next one? Probably Holmes. Yeah. A 38 year old Holmes. And maybe Ruddock given the circumstances, you know? Yeah. You know, and how did, how did Ruddock do against Tommy Morrison or, or against the rest of that, that group? Um, okay. But I mean, nobody's confusing Ruddick as a Hall of Famer. D- dangerous, you know, like one of one of the heaviest punchers of that era. But I, but but no, he's like that's a great fighter, good fighter, but not great. So you're sort of like, whoa, that that's kind of weird to be like, that's Tyson's resume. It's it's a little more thin than we kind of thought. Um, and I mean, to, him, yeah. To be fair, the earlier version of Tyson did fight who was available. He didn't avoid anybody. But no, who, who was available was not a great division. And this is and this is a common trope with many of the greats where we forget about it. Rocky Marciano was summarily dismissed for his quality of opposition throughout his career to such a degree that when he fought Joe Lewis, I think he was a dramatic underdog in that fight. And we're talking Joe Lewis at 95 years old as the barbershop and coming to America point out like a completely shot Joe Lewis. That guy still was a seven to one favorite by by most journalists in, in, you know, who showed up at that fight, uh, Joe Lewis was dismissed for his quality of opposition. I, you know, I, I think most of these guys are we we have a very different value system in assessing quality in hindsight than we do in the present moment. And I mean, this is, this is not different in publishing where you look at most masterpieces, how many editors missed them. Uh, you know, Catcher in the Rye was, dismissed as kind of a stupid book by the first publisher that looked at it um you know there are many many examples and there's far more examples of people missing greatness than discovering it and boxing's not different but it's it's really weird for me because i went into this just thinking like at the time this would be a joke for foreman to fight tyson but with hindsight it's it's much harder to see a version where i don't think tyson has some trouble yeah i i think tyson's in 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 for it he's in a world of hurt uh against foreman win or lose i think i think he's foreman's gonna be a tough tough out and probably beat him more often than not but i mean hey that's that mythical matchup dude you know it's a it's a big big mythical matchup that people still even talk about and bring up now i totally remember at the time i think 1990 seeing it might have been esquire magazine or vanity fair and i went to a store to read it and there was a picture of two of Foreman and Tyson and the two pitchers were crammed together and they were both kind of like back of head to back of head in black and white photos and it was like dream fight and I I remember thinking just like that would be the most incredible fight to watch the star power um and and at the same time in its day it was Jake Paul Logan Paul fighting Floyd or something like that, by how it was viewed by most of the top boxing writers in its era. It wasn't taken seriously at all. And now we're saying probably Foreman would have beat the guy. 
so that that's a strange strange place to land with this as a takeaway well it might be a strange place to land but that's our view you know what i mean and i don't think that it's i think that we backed it up with cogent and clear arguments that are you know arguable of course people are free to dispute them in the comments and in the social media places wherever you know they respond to our episodes but yeah i think that that's just kind of how we see it again i think we i think we brought up good arguments i think we did i hope we did <laughs> well i mean neither of us is anything against tyson i love tyson he was my absolute favorite fighter coming up him and duran so it's, it's nothing yeah, we're both right in that window where we remember you know pre-loss pre-first loss tyson we remember an undefeated tyson in our lifetime Oh yeah, not George Foreman. We're too both too you know a little too young for that. But regardless, you know, yeah, obviously there, for a lot of people around our age, there's that special place in our heart for Mike Tyson, even just in terms of like nostalgia and what it meant to uh, public perception and pop culture, etc. You know that feeling that you get, blah blah blah. There's a special place, but that's that has nothing to do with it. We're just talking about purely what we think would happen, and it's in trouble. And I mean, the one thing where I could say I'm really biased is I was, it took about six months capable of knocking him out in the first round in Mike Tyson's punch out, which still might be the greatest achievement I've ever done in my life, according to a handful of my childhood friends. I've still never done it. Keep, I still keep, haven't done it. I've played that game countless times and I'm, and I've, I'm not relying on the cheat codes. You know, if I did, maybe that'd be something else, but I've never, I've never defeated Mike Tyson at all. Sorry. Zero zero seven three seven three five nine six three. That's the code. <laughs> Boom. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left. Okay, that's Contra, but that's I contra. remember some of them. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Bryn, dude, I appreciate you going through the going through the gauntlet here and you know talking some Tyson Foreman with me, man. It's good shit. Yeah, and I mean, you think we're full of shit? Go back and watch Foreman Holyfield. Go back and watch Cooney. Watch some of these fights. They're they're a lot different. Than, than I think you remember, or just when you see what it is on box rec, when you see the kind of threat that he posed, I mean, even against Briggs, 1997, he's still dangerous. He's still dangerous against young, very, very good competition. Yeah, 100%, dude. But everybody, thank you so much for listening in. If you listened into this episode, whatever podcast app or program website that you listened in on, thank you, number one. And number two, subscribe. Number three, leave a comment. We appreciate that kind of stuff. If you watched on YouTube, thanks again there too. Subscribe, leave a comment. We will say what's up. As far as social media goes, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is both on Instagram and Facebook. We're also on Twitter for the time being. Individually, we're there. My buddy, Bryn Jonathan Butler, is there as Brynicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. Me, Patrick Connor. I'm there as Patrick M. Connor. Say hello, and we'll say hi back. Bryn, we'll talk soon, dude. Blame Bobby. Hashtag blame Bobby, everybody. <laughs>